Good morning and welcome. This is Tevo DRC from Tevo Creative Leadership for Males and Females. We're going to be talking more on the topic of Adam and Eve, males and females in the Bible. And today I want to go through Genesis 1 through 4, really pre-law, because it really affects ministry, leadership, their concept of women and men being equal and so forth, chain of command order. So when I look at the book of, of Genesis to start, we always know that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and that God said, let there be light, and he created all these things. And my opinion, my opinion is that God is, a, God is not devoid of personality as a being, so therefore he acted in Genesis 1 as a more like type A assertive, not a hyper type A like some, you know, personalities, but just like as an assertive A. When you look at what happened prior to Genesis, maybe he was in his type B more mode, creative, pondering, measuring, calculating, science, gravity, the world, humans, all the invisible, as well as the visible things we now see. So when I think of different parts of my life or the body of Christ or types of groups, some prefer the presence of the Lord, some may be more, you know, prone to the rules, some may be prone to know about faith, some by, you know, liturgy, everybody's got their choices. But I like to think of God manifesting himself in some of the good qualities, the true qualities that line up with his word on the earth through the different kinds of Christians, through the different kinds of colors around the globe, with their personalities, their background, their infusion of culture, their ideas, their environment, maybe all coming into play. But then we have to all be noble Bereans, bring our own Bible, and then discern through the culture, through the worship, through the countenance, through the actions, through the atmosphere, through the Bible teaching, through the Spirit of the Lord, what is really true and not true today. So I would like to go through about my ideas about Adam and Eve, and I've already talked on that recently, but let me go through because it's such a big deal to think. Prior to Genesis 3, when sin came in the garden, accusation with it, deception, demonic things, the human nature fell, and it fell and got worse and morphed ever since, and therefore it was no need of the law prior to Genesis 3, because nobody ever got out of control, misbehaved, did anything dark or evil, didn't worship God fully. But then after the law, then we have the time where it was used by God, the Mosaic, Mosaic Ten Commandments to remind people, like a school teacher, this is how you do it, behave, guard, guide, and govern relationships in society and leadership and ministry, families for the future, and also how you respect God and Humble yourself and time after time, repent. Time after time, go before and remember that there is a judgment day coming. So all these things come into play in our philosophy and our wisdom for teaching today, Christian family, marriage, happiness, males and females as equal in the Christian community. And when I speak, I'm only ministering, speaking words of these choices to the Christian, the born-again Christian who believes the Bible. Everyone else is welcome and valued, 
but we're just really trying to make sure the Christian gets it. So we say that God was busy brooding and hovering and creating and planting the earth and people and all these things. And then he rose up in Genesis 1 and he said, let there be light. And he said, once he said, let there be light, it says in Genesis 1, chapter 4, he said it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. So then if you read for yourself, I don't have plan to do all this reading, you can see that he created the heavens and the earth. Well, I like to think of all the suspicious cynics who say, you know, I can't believe God could do that. I can't believe in a God at all. Well, I think, you know, what about all those video games you ponder? What about all those mindsets and things you watch on science fiction, special effects that you say, yeah, yeah, I rave over those. I love them. I believe that. And you can't believe God is that big and bigger to create something out of nothing. It, it mystifies our brain. So let's go on into the rest of chapter one. Finally, we get down to where it said in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Okay, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And he blessed them, the blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. And then he pronounced a blessing. I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, every tree, every fruit, so that it will be for meat and so forth, and it says, verse 31 of chapter 1, Genesis 1, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we find out that males and females are good. They're good. Now, this is when there was no sin, no family chaotic dysfunction, no disease, no illness, no mental health problems. No out-of-control society producing more out-of-control individuals. So we find that everybody is good. God created you in their image. That's where my equal opportunity, real respect comes in. That's my PS. For every human made in God's image on the planet, whether you like them, whether you look like them or don't, whether you have a different faith, everyone made it, is made in God's image and what their choices are as an individual, as a community whether they're brown or tan or black or white. So our ministry is equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. It's also based on Psalm 139, that everyone is made mysteriously and wonderfully by the Lord. So now we go to chapter 2. So males and females are good. And it says, the heavens and the earth were finished, and then God rested on the seventh day. And you can read that for yourself about the earth, and he planted a garden in Eden, verse 8. And then we get down to some specifics now. When God made the garden, according to God's word, in Genesis 1-8, God planted the garden in Eden. It was the organic Garden with no nothing missing, nothing broken, complete shalom, rest, provision, 
for eternity. That was his plan. Never would they ever have to suffer, sweat, pay the bills. It would all be there, but it would be based upon a relationship with them and then getting through time, discovering all the wonderful things that he'd invested in there that were mysterious to them at the time, like cells and other planets, for example. But it says in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and he put the man in there. So the first man is before woman, and his name is Adam. And out of the ground God made every tree to grow, everything that was pleasant, good for food, the tree of life. This is verse 9. And also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now this is the, where we're getting heavy. So he put the the with only Adam, no Eve, he put the garden there and he put one tree after another. But the big one that we're going to talk about is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You read on down and it says in verse 15, And the Lord God took the man, only the man, and put him in the garden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, this is a big point now, big point for ministry. He commanded the man without the woman there. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For in the day that thou eat it, thou shalt surely die. In the day you, Adam, only Adam, my friend Adam, only went on the planet. And the day that you shall eat it, you shall die. So there is nobody there to distract Adam from hearing those words, knowing that he could later say, you know, I, I was being annoyed that day and didn't fully get it from God. So Adam is the man, the man, chain of command, head first, governor of the planet, God's choice, and there he is. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good. This is later. Adam was busy tending God's business. When later God said, you know what, I'm looking at Adam. He looks lonely. I'm going to make for him a helpmeet. Now, remember, this is after the command to Adam, the firstborn, do not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's your choice. You can choose to do it or not. All right. It is not good. I'm going to make him a helpmeet. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast and so forth, and he let him name it. We get down to... <clears throat> Verse 22, verse 21 in chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her forth unto the man. Now this is a picture of the female coming out of the DNA of Adam, the same DNA, so therefore she's not, she's not less than, secondary, not as good enough. She is equal, just in different shape and different things that she would need to rule over in her governmental authority as a leader. And so it said, God took the rib, made a woman, and brought her to the man. And Adam said, when he saw her, Oh, this is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Like we said, it's the same DNA, not less than, worthy of respect, equal opportunity, real respect, and good treatment. But there is a chain of command that is depicted. Head of home, head of government, at, 
and this is pre-law. It's just a relationship preparation for thousands and millions coming down on the planet so they know who's who, how to line up and go this way and follow the leader. And this is just preparation. There's sort of a prophetic word that comes forth from Adam and it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So out of this, with no other humans on the planet, we get a prophetic word. There will be more, because there will be a time that there will be choices to be made in relationships for the future of making sure everyone is honoring their their mate more than their parents. But they shall have no dependency struggle with who to be loyal to in the family if they get married they are loyal to the wife loyal to the husband more than they are their own family even though they love and respect them they're not to be emotionally controlled so then they were both naked and they were not ashamed that's a good lesson we don't have time to talk on it now let's get over to the heavy duty heavy duty stuff all this time, everything's in order. Everybody's peaceful. Everybody has a relationship with God. The first thing I notice out of this is that God, the Father, creates Adam for a relationship, for more relationships in the future, a family. He doesn't focus on rules. I'm making Adam to be my robot. I'm making Adam to do my bidding. I'm making, you know, he isn't like an authoritarian. This is a healthy point to minister to ministers on. So we find that relationships come before the law, the importance of them being in relationship, perceiving and discerning the spirit of the Lord, the chatting with the Lord throughout these, you know, what before sin comes on the scene. So they're all in harmony and beauty and organic and flavor. Everything is equal opportunity and peaceful prior to the big serpent now over in revelation 12 verses 7 through 11 you can read about prior to the serpent coming the mutiny in heaven the worship leader the first worship leader was such a big ego he thought he could outshine god make god move over so he could take over and so he gets kicked out along with the many angels and they go to earth and that brings this serpent to right here it also tells in Revelation 12, 7 through 11, the history of why Jesus really came to give back the power the devil ended up stealing. But I don't have time to go into that today. It's relationship issues. The devil hates God. The devil hates you. The devil hates because he hates really. He's not a relationship kind of guy. All right. He hates peaceful relationships. He hates, when, he hates it when it's calm. He doesn't get attention enough. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent that was thrown in, kicked out of heaven, the beguiling, sweet-talking, comforting, fake serpent, hypocrite, the sly serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field with the Lord had made. And he said to the woman one day, has God told you not to eat of that tree of the garden in Eden? Now let's look at that. We know from looking at Genesis 1 and 2 that God told Adam first, head of home, head of chain of command, not a controller, but head. And he said, do not eat that tree. Therefore, 
It was understood that Eve knew this by this comment, but yet Adam must have informed her, or God must have said it again, but Adam and Eve knew this, but Adam was the firstborn in charge of rising up as the male of the family, as the head of home, to be responsible and accountable to God for things in his family. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and he knew he had the weaker vessel in the fact that she must have been easily beguiled by looks or food. Yet men are like that too. There's, you know, I don't make a stereotype because men and women have equal opportunity chances to rise up and female up or man up, and they don't always do it. But this time it says that she was deceived and she used her rationalization about food. And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat of the fruit, but we cannot eat of that one fruit lest we die. That's what God says. And the serpent who was sly said to the woman, verse 4, Oh, you shall not die. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to her eyes and the tree did look desirable to make her wise, she did eat. And then she also gave to her husband, verse 6, and he did eat. This is a big deal. All right, we all know the history. Eve was deceived. That poor, pitiful woman was deceived. Oh, that, you know, and all this misery caused by people looking down on females in leadership and in the church lay for generations. Not my family, but a lot of others, it turned out, that are legalistic. Under the law, not real informed. So now we see what really happens. She's deceived. Then she gives it to her husband, the head of the household, the one who had the first relationship with anybody, which was God, that should be the top priority for this man, this person. So she gives the, you know, she gave the piece of fruit to her husband, and it was his time to understand his need to rise up, man up, honor God in the relationship they had prior to this, prior to her, prior to him, you know, this this temptation and say, no, Eve, why are you, why did you do that? And he would maybe slap that fruit out of her hand and go run to God and say, on behalf of my wife and myself, I repent, Lord, this is what happened. I didn't do it, but Eve did. Would you forgive us both? And maybe God would have changed his mind and things wouldn't have happened like we know have happened since that day. So then we look at the next part. And Adam willfully participated. He later is quoted that God got mad at him because he preferred his wife, the relationship with his wife, over God. He picked her to please her rather than God. So it says, she gave to her husband. That means there's an action involved. He took the fruit out of her hand and willfully indulged. Willfully ate it, chewed it, swallowed it. And then the, the, their eyes were opened and they saw what they'd done, the immense things that they had really done. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened. They both knew they were naked. And they, and they sewed leaves together and made themselves aprons. So the first thing that comes in besides this new realm of unwanted, unhealthy, perception 
reality is shame. Shame comes in. They're embarrassed by their nakedness. And that was nothing to be ashamed of before God. It's just now their own carnal carnal human side and the lust side and the whatever it is. God removed the blessing. He removed his glory. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's chapter 3, verse 8. And the Lord called out unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, I want you to notice in history, we don't hear this broken down, but I'm talking chain of command. Look who God honors and respects as the firstborn chain of command, head of home, head of planet at the time. That is Adam. He doesn't call out, Adam and Eve, where are you? He calls out, Adam, where are you? Because he holds the head of the home principally responsible because he had the relationship with him first. And he also entrusted him with the management, the government authority to inform his wife and then to be responsible to make up for it if something you know, just like a, a regular leader is accountable in an army and so forth. So then we keep on going and it says, God said, where are you? Now, this is a point, a mature point. God is the authority like a parent, let's say. And he's found out the worst thing, the worst nightmare his teenager did, Adam did. So instead of reacting like violence, demeaning, debasing, accusation, oh, Adam, you you rascal, why did you do that? You just, don't you know what you did to my plan? Don't you know what you did and your use of, you know, all this stuff, which is like a human side. God isn't like that. He is polite. He is so respectful as an authority. He doesn't attack. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't demean. He just assesses and he knows something's really wrong, but he looks like to me, like a good dad, a good dad. He says, Adam, where are you? Wondering, you know, like putting the question out to test Adam, what's he really going to say? Is he going to confess? If he refesses, confesses and repents as a leader, I'll forgive him. And if he doesn't, he'll have to face the choices, face the music. And then here's what Adam says. God says to Adam, firstborn, where are you? That's all he says. He didn't say, what did you do? He said, where are you? testing the waters, as it were, to see how the mature Adam would rise up, man up, human up. And Adam said back, I heard the voice, your voice in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So he's playing the weak card. He's playing the, oh, yes, I'm innocent. I didn't do a thing, trying to sort of avoid being confronted. But God is not going to fall into the trap. And he says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that thou should not eat? And now here's the good part, a really good part. Adam is trying to weasel out of it. He's trying to avoid being accountable, being found out, which is the carnal human nature. But now when he used to love his wife, like Christ loved the church, I guess you could say back in the Old Testament form, when he used to say, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the best thing that ever happened except all these wonderful trees in the organic garden. Now he talks to God and complains about her and accuses her. He resembles the deceiver, the accuser, because he wants to save his own hide 
and put Eve as the fault. And the man said, Adam said, but Lord, but God, the woman that you gave to me, she's the one that gave me the fruit and I ate it. That means that woman did it. I'm blaming her and I had to do it because she gave it to me as in duh, as in stalling, as in wow, trying to get away with it and foist the blame adeptly accuser blame shift onto somebody else. Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And then we can read on what happened from that day. They brought the curses down on both of them. They poisoned the water of the well of, of life for themselves and for humanity. So we can say what happened, the curse of having to strive and sweat and toil and fret, you know, fret over income came in. That curse. The sweat over childbirth, pain and suffering and multiplied childbirths, all these things that the woman would have a tendency to be ruled and dominated by the husband. So in the natural, all these things got lost and they could have been lost forever. The good news is after the multi-books of the New Testament and the law and the travail and trials and tribulations of that leadership, we now have a new grace come in in the New Testament when we look ahead to Jesus Christ who paid the price for every hell on earth, took the curse on himself of death and sin, replaced it with his love for men and women equally, and he removed the curse if we know how to use his Bible, the New Testament, and not rationalize with it, be flaky with it, but really understand what he bought on the cross with his death on the cruel suffering cross for all of us. That's a whole nother topic. But Revelation 12, verse 7 through 11 said, after all the accusation and murder, murder comes in in the next generation of Adam and Eve when Cain, the firstborn children, Cain kills his brother Abel because of his poor relationship with himself, self-talk, envy, natural competition, self-pity, all these things are relationship issues that God can heal. All these are relationship issues now that stay with us unless God intervenes or we want to, we know about it so we can work on ourselves to be healthy and go through the Bible and get prayer and over time get restored back into good health like the organic you that God really wanted without all the pain and suffering and cussing and mama talk and all this stuff. So there's too much to think about without mentioning the difference between Adam and Eve and all the teaching that goes on in ministry and the blame shifting and the woman always did it. It's always the woman that did it. She's the one, you know, back on the East Coast, they had a lot more. Well, they had a lot of Levitical patriarchism. It was in my discovery years. I didn't know that. And I was a Baptist. I wasn't brought up under that. It wasn't in my household. But I thought, man, every time a woman does anything, it's always the woman even when the Levitical, the, the Pharisees brought the woman as a symbol, the woman brought, they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and threw her at his feet. Well, I think, well, they brought the woman caught in adultery. It's just like a, a Pharisee, Levitical patriarch at the time to bring the woman, but let the man get scot-free. Oh, poor man. She deceived him. You know what I mean? Just like Adam and Eve. Oh, poor Adam, that woman made him eat that fruit. Poor Ahab, 
he was raised around the law and he willfully went out and married Eth, King Ethbaal's daughter, demonic daughter. Oh, poor, pitiful little Ahab henpecked. That's teaching right now in the body of Christ, mostly prophetic, charismatic, up and down everywhere. But man, you got to get down to the brass tacks of being a noble Berean and see what, instead of this victim mentality, we need a conviction mentality that nobody's perfect and that everybody's equal opportunity, but we don't label one gender or, or come down and put down one as always being wrong as a stereotype or as a gender bias stereotype of this teaching that goes on with males and females. That's why I'm speaking out on it. And it is a sila, not dogma. So we notice that it is a relationship, in my opinion, God, the relationship with God with no problem, no issues, was lost in the garden. Accusations started to fracture relationships with God, with Adam and Eve, with self-talk and Cain, with the devil himself, making people angry, losing control, abuse, riots. That's why the law had to be put in force later in the Ten Commandments. People were going crazy. Avoid the mayhem, the relationship and damage of society and humans and families to preserve and also to make God revered as holy with a warning of a judgment to come. But that's the Old Testament through the years of that Old Testament being used by God, he also brought in a new paradigm shift, which was equal to the shocking change of that virus on our whole world, a paradigm shift of values of thought. But nobody really knew it when Jesus, the baby, sweet baby Jesus, was born the infant. He didn't look the type. He didn't act the type. He probably didn't want to be the type, but he was God's type. And therefore he did whatever God took, even ended up being a sacrifice on the cross for you and me, all of us for our sins, for the atonement being the one, you know, in the old Testament, they had the, the atonement day, the, the, the day of atonement, everyone repents and offers sacrifices of blood on the, on the, you know, in the altars for the sin of the nation, the sin of the people. And now Jesus died once and for all to be the sacrificial lamb one time for all of us. But we have to remember it, not forget and not be beguiled by the things of the way, what we want, the way things were. We want to think, do things the right way, but it's the God way in the garden. He wants to bring back the relationship that was lost, that peaceful harmonious, calm relationship with him, with yourself, no more evil self-talk, put yourself down, but with your spouse and your family in the garden. How to do that is a whole topic, a lesson of how to work on it with God's help. You invite Jesus into your heart. You can start it. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the fruits of the Spirit, every one of you who does that. And they are peace, patience, joy, let's see, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, self-control. The self-government, self-control is what makes people act out of authority, makes people cuss people, criticize little kids, kill people. So we want to go back and teach on the presence of God, the family, relationships, self-government. Again, Romans, excuse me, Revelation 12, 7 through 11 talks about that God when Jesus died and came back and paid the price at great cost for us, 
He handed back the power over the our own tongues to, it says, they overcame, this is the church, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Who's him? The accuser, the deceiver, Satan. They overcome him. The end time church had it bought back the power over their self-control with their accuser tongues or not accuser tongue, Phariseeism. If they choose to learn about it, choose to act upon it, choose to willfully want to participate in that. So that's a lesson within a lesson within a lesson that we all need. And then my opinion is if we train people, get people to respond, pre-marriage counseling, during marriage counseling, children and teenagers, everybody in the church fellowship, leaders on down, Work on their abiding James 3.17 fruit in relationships, even under pressure and heavy stress. We'll avoid a lot of less turmoil and hatred and abuse and also division. James 3.17 says that any wisdom that comes from above that represents God himself has got to be pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy and to the best of my ability i try to live that every day of my life privately and publicly so i'm going to put these out and they're just a start a tip of an iceberg about relationships and ours is abiding relationship theology using james 317 under even under pressure as our criteria and standard i'm going to close for now there's a lot more to be talked about on males and females and relationships and family, and we'll keep on doing that when the Lord allows. God is good. Consider this Adam and Eve up through chapter 4 of Genesis. More later at another time. God bless you. This is Tavo D'Arcy. He loves you. Bye-bye.